I am the might before the sword, the tremors and the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagomatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries, rise through the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here, I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears, drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the wells, till the soil, forsake the toil, quell the rages, sow the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs you are looking for me. In the body touching body it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders, gasping hunger. In the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger in the books and the fables in the this is me labels in the is this me is this me in the hear me hear me say my name in the touch me find me need me find me in the aching pain in the love the music the beats the taste in the heat and the need and the need for embrace in the color the gaze the meaning the desire in the flame of the voice and the spirit of the fire when you cry for more my name you weep i am he who waits for you to reach i reach for you and wait when you lie half broken and awake i am the watchman of your sleep i wait and wait till the shakings cease i am the truth they call release when the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. God.
creation there at the start before the beginning of time no point of reference you spoke to the dark and flesh out the wonder of life and as you speak a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath of planet So will I. I can see your heart in everything you make. Every burning star, a single fire. Yeah.
heaven we are here today to worship you and all of your vastness and how big you are and amazing you are magnificent you are father you chose to have a relationship with me i am so grateful for what you have done so i give my heart again to you i give my life again to you and i know that you're going to do something amazing with it father we worship you today it's in jesus holy name we pray amen good morning everybody why don't you guys have a seat for a second we are in the midst of this new series, and I just want to make sure that we have this on our minds as we uh, get into this message today. Psalm 121 says these words, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? And it's a rhetorical question. It's no. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Everything that I need, I can find in the vastness and the bigness of God. So I want to make sure that we believe these words that we've been saying. And this one today, I want to make sure that it's on the screen so that you can see it as we start. I believe that God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Will you say that with me? I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Let's make sure that's on your heart today. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, I know that this morning words are going to be inadequate. We're grateful for your presence, and we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. All right, guys, before I get started, a couple of jokes. You ready? How many of you old guys remember Calvin and Hobbes? Here's Calvin, made in God's image. Yes, sir, right? And there's Hobbes. God has a goofy sense of humor. And if you look around at people around you, you realize that Hobbes is right, right? 
Next one, how many of you really old guys remember Father Guido Sarducci? If you laughed, you're old. Here's Guido. If God made a man in his own image, how come we're not like invisible? Good question. Last one. If we are made in the image of God, that means we're God's selfies, right? Now, wouldn't that be scary? See, guys, the Bible says that God made us in his image. So we twist it around. And we figure that means God must be something like us. We're like, if we're God's selfies, does he look like us? Is he kind of like us? Maybe on steroids? Well, no. Heck no. That would make him a mighty puny God, wouldn't it? The real God, the big G God, is not puny. Anyway, maybe you missed it, but about 38 days ago, this 96-year-old lady named Elizabeth died over in England. Made all the news. In fact, it dominated even our news for about two weeks. Now, I have to confess, I'm a jerk, right? And I hated all the news coverage. I always thought the idea of royalty is absurd, and I couldn't work up any emotion. She didn't mean anything more to me personally, emotionally, than any of the other 183,671 people, on average, that died that day. That's about how many people die every day. And very few of those deaths caused me to pause and ponder and shed a tear or two. On the other hand, 42 days ago, four days before Queen Elizabeth died, George Clark died. And his death did cause me to pause and ponder and shed a tear or two. George was a friend. His wife Mary was a friend. He was the father of my daughter-in-law, Monica, grandfather to my grandchildren, Jackson, Aubrey, and Caden. And on the morning before he died, he sat right over there and watched Andy and Monica baptize my grandkid, Jackson. How cool is that? It was a great day. Queen Elizabeth's death didn't change my emotions or schedule at all, other than to interrupt some pretty good TV. George's death interrupted my schedule a bunch. BBC reported that about 28 million people watched Queen Elizabeth's funeral in the UK. About 11.4 million watched in the US. According to Newsweek, I don't know how these numbers add up, but they reported that more than 4.1 billion people watched the funeral worldwide. Most watched broadcast maybe of all time. A couple of hundred people at George's funeral. A mere handful by comparison. But bigger than normal. Larger than most of the funerals that I have attended. He had a lot of friends. How many people do you expect at yours? How much news coverage do you expect for your funeral? How many celebs will interrupt their schedule so they can show up? One more question. Do you think God was any more attentive to Queen Elizabeth than to George Clark? Do you think God was any more engaged in the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II than to the funerals of any of the other 183,671 people who died that day. We don't have the capacity to be emotionally engaged in more than a very, very select few. At least I don't. Maybe you can. 
If God is in our image, how could he care for so many of us individually, simultaneously? And on top of the funerals, how about the rest of us who are sick, struggling maritally, financially struggling at work, school, or with whatever else happens to be stealing our peace? How could God care? Have you ever heard of compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue. Maybe you've never heard of it, but if you're in one of the helping professions, you might have felt it from time to time. Sometimes people are exposed to so much pain, so much hurt, that their hearts gradually harden. Kind of a defense mechanism. They define it as the emotional and physical exhaustion that leads to a diminished ability to empathize or to feel compassion for others. Well, if God does see all of the hurts of all of us, all of the time, do you think God has ever felt compassion fatigue? You know, I can't keep up that much compassion. You can't keep up that much compassion. Can God, if he's in our image? How big is your God? Just a little bit bigger than you? Multiply that times the, by the fact that we're all jerks, right? I mean, I am. I suspect most of you guys are. Bible says that all of us sin a lot. All of us fall short of what God meant for us to be. We know what's wrong and we do it anyway. We know what's right and we don't do that. Well, if God is perfectly good, perfectly holy, wouldn't he get kind of annoyed with us? Wouldn't God struggle to keep on loving people who keep on dissing him? I mean, we struggle, right, to keep on loving people who diss us. Is God anything like us? How big is your God if he's in your image? I want to show you a series of pictures. Now, if you've been here at Cap City for more than a, a few years, you may have seen some of these pictures before. The first picture shows the smaller planets of our solar system. Earth, Venus, Mars, Mercury. They also threw in a picture of the moon. There's Pluto. It's not going to be in the next group pick, right? They kicked it out. Ceres, which is a dwarf planet, some out there between Mars and Jupiter. Earth is kind of the big boy of the bunch, right? The next picture shows the really big boys. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Earth, and the rest of us are the little marbles at the bottom. We're not very big, are we? Kind of puny, actually. <laughs> the next picture shows the sun, and those are the big planets, right? Jupiter and Saturn, they become the marbles. We're the little tiny pebbles at the bottom. The sun is really big, kind of. Next picture shows our sun next to some of its cousins. It's Arcturus, Pollux, right? Orange giants, two of the biggest stars in our sky. The sun is the little tiny thing over on the left. Earth is invisible at this scale. The next picture shows Antares and Betelgeuse, red supergiants. Arcturus from the last slide is this one right here. Pollux, small, 
underneath it. They're really, really big, aren't they? Kinda. On a perfect night in a perfect place, you might be able to see about three to 5,000 stars with a naked eye. So much bigger than that. They estimate now that there are between 200 and 400 billion stars just in our galaxy, Milky Way. And our solar system is along one of those outer arms. About 30 years ago, we launched the Hubble telescope into space. Between it and the other telescopes that astronomers use today, they calculate between 150 and 200 billion galaxies in the part of the universe that we can see. I mean, every night we're surrounded by the handiwork of God. We rarely notice, stand in awe. Rarely are stunned, speechless, amazed, and humbled by the immensity of our God. The Milky Way is just one of, I don't know, as I said, 200 maybe billion or so galaxies in that part of the universe we can see. And this picture is from the Hubble telescope. They aimed it at a piece of dark sky. Basically, if you took a dime, held it about 75 feet away from you at a piece of dark sky, that's what they photographed with the Hubble telescope. Most of these things are not stars, guys. They're galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars each. This place is huge. A year ago, we launched the Webb telescope. Same period, a part of sky with the web compared to the Hubble. This thing is so much more mysterious, complex, and beautiful than we're even capable of imagining. David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. <laughs> and David could only see the tip of the iceberg. He had no clue. Pretty fine pastor by the name of R.C. Sproul, he put it like this. He said, men are never duly touched and impressed with the conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of our God. No kidding speck of dust on a speck of dust and something that is unimaginably huge. Guys, if that is so, if that is so, how could you matter? How could any of us matter to a God that big if God was in our image? We're not capable of caring for something infinitely small. So how could God, we think, stupidly? Let me change directions. According to the National Geographic, there are about 1.2 million named species on Earth. Different kinds of plants, animals, bugs. 1.2 million named out of maybe 8.7 million total, they estimate. 8.7 million different kinds of plants and animals and bugs. That's a lot. According to Wikipedia, there are about 22,000 different kinds of ants, different species of ants, as many as 100,000 different kinds of trees, 400,000 different kinds of beetles, 
Danny Watson can name most of them. According to the National Geographic, there are between 50 and 430 billion birds on Earth. Now, that's a bit of a gap, right? 50 to 430 billion, which basically means they don't have a clue. You ever seen those nature specials on TV and they zoom out as zillions of birds fill the sky? They also estimate about 10 quintillion insects, bugs. That's a 10 followed by 18 zeros. About 10% of them pass through my little farm over on Shadrick Ferry. <laughs> and no two are alike. Here's the deal. How could anyone care for so many? Jesus says not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Really? On this little speck of dust... In this vast universe, God tracks every bird, every bug. I mean, I've seen boatloads of dead bugs and birds and critters, and it's rare that I can work up any emotion about it. Can God really care when there are billions and trillions and quintillions? If he was anything like us, he couldn't. According to the world population clock, there are now 7.98 billion people on earth. When I was born in 54, there were about 2.75. It's almost tripled. It's a lot. They tell us that most of us will interact with about 80,000 people over the course of a lifetime. Only a handful will be genuinely close. And the closer they are, the more we tend to upsize our care, Right? There was a British anthropologist by the name of Robin Dunbar, and he calculated the number of close friendships that a primate like us can have based on the size of our brain. And it kind of seems like most scientists take them pretty seriously, might be onto something. He says, despite what you think about all of the so-called friends you've got on the social media, we human beings can only maintain about 150 meaningful connections at one time. On average, we have about five loved ones, really close, about 15 good friends, about 50 friends, another 150 meaningful contacts, about 500 acquaintances, and we can recognize about 1,500 people. We're simply not capable of having a meaningful relationship with more than a couple hundred. Can God? Really? Not if he's in our image. But what if the real God isn't limited by size or number like we are? How big is your God? According to researchers at the University of Oregon, I went there a long time ago, about 50 years ago. I think they're different researchers now. Anyway, they've concluded that the human brain has limits on how many discrete thoughts it can entertain at one time. The limit for most people is about four. If you're trying to do more than four things at once, you're probably going to do a lousy job. Now, they didn't break it down by sex. I figure most of us guys can focus on no more than one thing at a time. It's all we're capable of. You ladies think we're capable of more. Ladies, if we're watching football, we are not capable of thinking about chores. That's, that's science. That's science. 
article in Science talks about how our brain will allow us to perform about two tasks at once, but there are limits. So how can God multitask that hugely, we think? How can God focus on my problems when he's focusing on yours and yours and yours and those of about 7.98 billion other people in this world at the same time that he's holding about 200 billion galaxies in his hand with hundreds of billions of stars in each? But what if the real God isn't limited by what limits us, even though we were made in his image? What if God actually is otherly? How big is your God? One more side road, kind of. (laughs) This thing that we're part of is huge. It staggers the mind. It's so diverse. And yet it's so intricate, so incredibly, mind-bogglingly complex. I mean, every one of you guys started out as a single egg, right? A single fertilized egg that started dividing Until, on average, right now, sitting here, you've probably got about 30 or 40 trillion cells in you. That's 30 or 40 with 12 more zeros. Each of them programmed to do something that contributes to making you, you. Now, we used to think that those cells were simply blobs of protoplasm. We now know that every single cell in us is a microscopic marvel more complex than a space shuttle. In nearly every single one of our 30 or 40 trillion cells, there is this identical ladder, spiral ladder of DNA. Looks kind of like a ladder with about three billion rungs inside every one of your cells. That DNA contains all the genetic information to make all of your cells tick. In fact, DNA has the capacity to construct any living thing on earth from a single bacterium to a giant redwood. And yet it is several thousand million, million times smaller than the smallest machine ever designed by man. Holy cow. I mean, our computers are incredible. They work with a binary code, just ones and zeros. Computers can do amazing things, enormously complex things, with just this series of ones and zeros. DNA uses a four-digit code, almost infinitely more complex. If you were to translate all the DNA or code from your DNA into books, it'd fill the Grand Canyon several times over. Genetic code for a single bacterium would fill the greatest libraries in our world. Come on, guys. Wow, God. Now, sometimes when I'm working on something intricate, I block everything else out. How about you? I'll be studying hard on something in my office, and Angela, our office manager, she'll come in, and she'll see me focused on something, and she'll just stand there and wait. She just stands and watches me and looks at me, stares at me, (laughs) waits. Because she knows that if I'm concentrating on something else, I won't hear a word she says. So she stands and stands till she gets my full attention, not that glance that I give her. She's mean. God's not like that, is he? 
so wrapped up in those gazillion other things that he doesn't really listen when I add my issues to his inbox. I had a prophet, Emery, who'd walk down the sidewalk muttering to himself. He was so wrapped up in some intricacy that he paid no attention to where he was, what he was doing. I had another prof who'd show up to class with his shirt buttons in the wrong holes because he had bigger things to think about. Smart guys. You ever think that maybe God's like that sometimes? Busy with so much, busy with so many things that are huge, how could he be bothered by your petty little issues? A God in our image couldn't. How big is your God? And where do you think you rank on his priority list? So, let me read you some verses that ought to blow your mind. Jesus says, don't worry about whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? It's weird. Look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest, store food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Do you buy that? Listen to what he says. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, make clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Do you buy that? Why do you have so little faith? God's so big. God that manages so much could actually care about someone as insignificant as you. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Those things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who don't understand who God really is. Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll take care of you. Is that even plausible? And yet words like those are sprinkled all over your Bible. The psalmist says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? <laughs> no. My help comes from the Lord who made the mountains. That infinitely big, infinitely busy God actually cares, he says, for little old me. Do you buy that for you? Do you? Here's King David. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. No kidding. He says, you've set your glory in the heavens. Just look at it. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, who are we that you're mindful of us? What is humankind that you care about us? But you do. He says, you made us a little lower than God, in your image. You crowned us with glory and honor. You gave us charge of everything you made here, putting things under our authority. Do you believe that you're special to God, that we are special to God? Do you believe that every one of you individually is special to God? Isaiah the prophet, he says, and he's, this is God 
God says, himself says, I hold you by your right hand. The Lord your God, I've got you. And I say to you, and that's a you singular. He's saying this to every single one of us. Telling you, he says, don't be afraid because I am here to help you. You buy that? Apostle Peter, now, Peter spent about three years with Jesus, God in the bod, right? He says, give all of your worries and cares to God because he cares about you individually. Do you think that's possible, that the infinitely big, infinitely powerful creator cares about you individually? Do you? And if it's possible, do you think it matters? How big is your God? Writer Hebrews put it like this. He says, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Now, some would think that these were written by people who just didn't have a clue. They just didn't know any better. Made up a God. Others would say that these were words inspired by a God who does care. Do you know why I believe this stuff? You know why I believe that a God that big cares for something as microscopic and as fleeting as me? You know why I believe that a God that big can care for a few of us at the same time that he's caring for 7.98 other billion people in this world? You know why I believe that even though I have been created in the image of God, God is not subject to the limitations that I struggle with? Because of the cross. Apostle John put it like this. He says, God loves the world, that's us, so much that he gave his only son to die that every single one of us, every single one of us who believes in him may not die but have eternal life with God. That's God's gift to every single one of us. God doing life with us, Jesus says. Hmm. Jesus says, God in Abad says, I didn't come here to be served. God didn't come into this world to be served by us. Go figure. How weird is that? But to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for you guys. And when Jesus walked out of his tomb after laying dead there for three days, God was telling us, you need to listen to him. So when Jesus, God in Abad, tells us that God cares for every single one of us individually, that God wants to do life with us personally, I believe him. Even though God is that big. If you think the real God can't genuinely care for a little old you, then your God is a myth. It's a puny imitation of the real big G God. And if you've ever actually tried to do life with God, then you've got an inkling of it, haven't you? You've felt it. You've experienced it. Because the closer you get to God, two things happen. Number one, the bigger he gets, the grander he gets. And the closer you get to God, the more you realize how deeply he cares for you individually. I know it's counterintuitive. I know it's weird, but it is the way it works. See, the ability that we have, the ability that I have to care about people, get close to people, that is image of God stuff. 
the ability that every one of us have to feel compassion for people who are hurting, even when we don't know them. That's image of God stuff. But that's just the barest shadow of what God is capable of, what he does every moment of every day. He gives us a taste, but his is without limits, without limitation. So one of the smartest theologians of the last century, a guy named Karl Barth, he put it like this. He says, faith is awe in the presence of the divine incognito. It is the love of God that is aware of the qualitative difference between God and man, the qualitative difference between God and the world. He's God, we're not. He's transcendent, we're creature. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient. Do you understand the chasm between God and us? And yet, when Karl Barth was asked to summarize everything he knew about God, and he wrote millions of words, he quoted the almost unbelievable words of a children's song. Jesus loves me. This Jesus loves me. God loves me. I know that because the Bible tells me so. Do you get it? Do you get what that means? Do you get how that can change your life? That the eternal, transcendent, omnipotent God loves you. Creator God wants to do life with you. He wants you to trust him. He's got your back and your, he's got your future. The definition of insanity, guys, is to blow God off. Does it matter to you? Do you care? Are you doing life with God right now? That's his invitation. If you're not, we can get it started today. I'm going to sit right down here. We're going to sing a song in a minute. We're going to have a Lord's Supper time. The rest of the service, just walk on up. Let's talk. If there's an elder praying for you right now back in the prayer room, go back and talk with him. It's a big deal. When you go to the Lord's Supper this morning, you'll find these little cards there, little memory verses, verse about the personal God that we serve. Take that and memorize it and chew on it this week. Our connections room, there's some books, they're called Believe, only five bucks, found them cheap. It's a great thing and it has a section there. Chapter two is on our God being a personal God. We're going to go over that in a lot more detail, that chapter in a lot more detail on Wednesday night. Right now, let's stand up and let's honor our God.
yes I am. Doesn't get any more personal than that. That God himself calls you his child. He doesn't forsake you. He never will. He loves you exactly as you are. So when we come here, we're saying it again, over and over again, God, I want a relationship with you because I know you want one with me. So when we say these things, I can say, God, I know who I am because of you. You're exactly who I am. As we sing these words together, be reminded again that he's chosen you. He loves you. It doesn't get any personal than that, okay? Let's sing these words loud. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Sing loud. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say. for that fact, that God wants to have a relationship with me, and I want to have one with him. I, I, I got to hear this earlier in, in that early opening video when it says that, yeah, I believe in God because he believes in me. What an awesome statement. He believes in you, so much so that he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to take a punishment that we deserve. And so what we want to do is be able to celebrate the fact that God wants a relationship with us right now. Jesus said right before he was betrayed, right before he, he died on the cross, he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. For you. This is my blood. It's shed for you. And it's not just this collective, all of us together. He's saying this to you individual. He's saying this to you. I did this for you because I want to have a relationship with you. And so every time that we come together and we celebrate that, it's celebrating the fact that he wants a relationship with you. The work of Jesus Christ. So in a few moments when you go around to the tables, you get a chance to be able to take the bread to remember his body, to take the juice to remember his blood. If this place is your home and you want to give an offering, we have the black boxes there. And there's also a generous bucket that's there, a white bucket there. If you have anything beyond that offering that you want to give, please feel free to do so. Let's go to the tables right now. Remember what Jesus has done for you.
Wow. Let's hear it one more time for our God. I mean, my goodness. Guys, we are so glad that you are here, so glad that we got to experience, um, gosh, that we get to experience God um, in this place. Uh, man, I am just so, so excited that you guys have come here. I hate to, uh, I hate that we have to stop this right now, uh, but we do have a schedule that we have to keep uh, slightly on at least. So I'm, my name is Jordan. Um, I've got a couple of things to share with you guys before we let you go, but we are so excited that you are here with us today, and we hope you'll come back uh, in the weeks that follow. But before we let you go, um, one of the things we need to make you aware of is next week, next Saturday, uh, from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., we're going to be hosting the American Cancer Society's Relay for Life. Um, now, this is an organization we've been involved with, an event that we've been involved with for a long time. But in my recollection, this is the first time that we've actually hosted the event here at Capital City. It's specifically going to be back in the party shed uh, from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. next Saturday. So if you want to get involved in that event, um, you can go to their website. It should be up on the screen. Sign up. Um, come on out here next Saturday evening. We're happy to partner with that organization and try to uh, help them raise money for cancer research and all the work they're doing in that space. So don't forget about that. Second of all, uh, you're probably looking forward to one of our big all-hands-on-deck all events uh, coming up in a couple weeks, our Trunk or Treat is happening on October 31st. That is two Mondays from now, and this is a big deal. We try to get as many people here on the property as possible to touch as many families as we can, let them experience God's love, but we need a lot of hands on deck to do that. So we need pe more people to decorate trunks, uh, more people just to volunteer in general for the event. So if that interests you at all, if you're available, you can sign up on the Church Center app or at capcity.info. We need as much help as we can possibly get. And I do want to make a note here to the parents, okay? I think most of you guys are familiar with the parent tax on candy, right? Everybody familiar with that? Okay, that is that's legally binding. I just want to assure you of that. But I want to make sure you know, we've all been hit pretty hard by inflation these last couple of years. So this is your opportunity. I don't know what your rate was. The law doesn't specify an exact rate, but if last year it was 10%, up it to 15, okay? Listen, we, this is called a cost of living adjustment. And listen, when I was a kid, there was no trunk or treat, right? They sent me out. It was just me, the, my pillowcase, and the mean streets, okay? Like seven years old. I mean, this was probably irresponsible my parents, but I'm out there. You know, I had to, I, you get to eat what you kill back then, right? Now these kids, we just line them up. Here's a car full of candy. Take some. And that, I get it. You know, the world has changed. It's fine. But we got to introduce them to the real world somehow. So make sure to impose that parent tax on the candy and use this this year to raise your rate if you get the opportunity, okay? But, actually, but do not forget about Trunk or Treat. We want you guys here. We want as many people here as possible. So don't forget about that. Finally, if you have been with us for any part of 2022, you know one of our big campaigns has been our 12,000 nudge campaign, right? Every month, we're trying to nudge a thousand people closer to Jesus in some way. And every month we've had a theme. This month's theme of October is gloves. Okay, so if you know somebody who needs a set of gloves, if you see somebody out and about, maybe you see a homeless person standing on the side of the road, uh, the weather's getting colder, maybe uh, your kid's classroom um, or a, a classroom at a, at a local school, you want to bless every kid in that classroom with a set of gloves, it's a great opportunity. Whatever, however creative you want to get, it's up to you. We put this guy on you guys, but uh, find somebody who needs a set of gloves, put it in their hands, and let them know there's a group of people over here at Capital City Christian Church who love them, and more importantly, Jesus loves them, and we just want to nudge them a little bit closer to him, okay? We really want to finish out this strong, just a couple of more months, so make sure that you make that happen if you get the opportunity. Um, guys, I hope that you got as much out of Doc's message today as I did. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's just impossible when you really start to think about it to imagine how big on the one hand, our God is, and yet despite how big and unimaginable he is, he cares about you and me. 
right? I mean, that's just, that, that's almost unfathomable. That's, that's what differentiates our belief system really from any other belief system that's ever been created on this planet, that we would have a God that big who is personal and cares about us, right? It's amazing. As we're set, as Steve was setting up this service, actually, he asked, he posed us the question, uh, a game that I really don't like to play, but he said, do you know anybody who's famous? And I don't know anybody who's famous, uh, so I really didn't have anything to say. Uh, and he said, does anyone who's famous know your name? And once again, I, I just don't, I'm, I don't do well with the name dropping thing. I'm not well connected. The only person I could come up with, I had one possibility. I think we've got a picture of it. That's not the picture that uh, we were looking for. That's going to come in a minute. But so the one that I had is not really famous. There we are. Okay. Anybody recognize him? Dave Ramsey, okay? I don't really know him. I've done some work with his organization. I've, I've talked to him a couple times. I don't think he would know my name. He might. Uh, and he's not really that famous, but that's the only one I had, okay? Uh, we've already spoiled it with the other picture. Doc has a pretty good one, okay? How many of you guys can, okay, we've got, you guys can name the band because we've got the name on there. Audio Adrenaline. Uh, so Doc, get this, not only would they know his name, but they may have some choice words for him because he taught them at Kentucky Christian College, he was their professor. Uh, and that's just, that's pretty impressive. He, he wanted to blow it off like it wasn't a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. To a kid who grew up in the 90s, like, if they would know your name, that's pretty awesome. Okay, Doc is well-connected, obviously. He's well-known himself. But, you know, we, we, there's a lot of people in this church probably who are very well-connected to some really powerful people, right? But it doesn't matter how well-connected you are or how powerful that person is. Obviously, their power, their abilities don't compare anything to God. And to think that a God that size, that big, that powerful, knows you and me and cares for you and me. The Bible says that he has numbered the hairs on your head. And he hurts when we hurt, right? He has bottled up our tears. That is just unbelievable. And that's what I want you guys to walk away with today. We've got something we want to share with you. I want you to, to read after me, repeat after me. We're going to walk out with this statement. Uh, as we see it on the screen, okay? It's a statement of belief, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and I want you guys to repeat it, and then we'll send you out, okay? I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Very good. We're going to do it one more time, okay? I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Do you believe that, guys? I, I hope you do. I hope you'll take that with you as you go, and I hope you will leave right now.